you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be in verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, I have a question for all of us this morning. How many of you have ever gone to your mechanic for medical advice? Nobody? All right, we got a couple kids in the room. Kids, I'm going to ask you a question. If you guys had a cold or a cough or a fever, would you go to your dentist? No? No, of course you wouldn't go to your dentist. You go to your doctor. Because when it comes to our health, we want to go to the right person for the right job, right? We want to go to the right person who can help us with whatever is going on with us. But seeing the right person isn't enough. Because if we had that cold or cough or sore throat or whatever it is, and we go to our doctor, and he puts a cast on our leg, that's not going to help us. We want to go to the right person, and we want him to figure out what the problem is, and we want him to treat that problem. We don't want to go to our doctor with a cold and him give an x-ray to our elbow. That's not going to help us. Now, that's pretty easy for us in this room, and we could say that it's pretty easy for us to do that exercise. Uh, It's probably easy for pretty much everyone, let's just say, in the city of Hampton. Everybody knows that if when you're sick, you want to go to the doctor, and you want the doctor to, to diagnose what's wrong, and you want to treat, you want that doctor to treat what is wrong with you. That's easy. What's more difficult is diagnosing and treating the illness of the world and the illness of our own souls. Now, we being in church, I would hope that we would know the best treatment for that. But if you were to go just in the city of Hampton and you were to ask and take a survey of everyone in the city and ask, what is wrong with the world? And who can fix it and how do they fix it? You would get hundreds of answers. You may even get thousands of answers. People would tell you different reasons why what they think is the biggest problem in the world, and people would tell you different people who they think could solve it, and they would tell you different things that they think could actually solve the problem. We live in a very, very confused and lost city. We live in a very confused and lost world. If you remember Daniel 12, when we preached on that a couple weeks ago, Daniel was told that the world, people will run to and fro and knowledge would increase. That's kind of where we live now. We live in a world that soaks up information at rates that previous generations have never even known. And yet we are still so lost and confused as to what the problem is and how the problem should be solved. Paul actually gives a really good description of what's going on in, in his world and in our world today and In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks, first of all, he gives kind of a a scathing diagnosis of the symptoms or what is going on, but then he concludes by, by describing the sinful world as always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Now, Fox Hill Road Baptist Church, I would love to be able to tell you that we are immune to this confusion but we're not. We, just like the world, we can get confused and distracted by all sorts of problems and evils in the world, and we can get distracted to the point that we fail to recognize the real problem 
and we fail to identify the right person to fix that problem. Praise be to God that he gives us his word. And he gives us passages like ours today that remind us what the problem is, reminds us the condition of our world, the condition of our hearts and our souls, and it shows us the one who can fix it and the antidote. This is what God's word says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. <clears throat> oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to reveal to us who you are. So Father, as we dig into your word this morning, I pray, would you open our blind eyes? Would you unstop our deaf ears? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can hear and be taught by your word this morning? Father, would your Holy Spirit fill this place and would you teach us? And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, the main point of our text today is this, that Jesus the King saves his people from their sin. Jesus the King saves his people from their sin. And we're going to see this explained to us in, in three different sections of the text. The first, we're going to see Jesus the King in 18 through 20 and then 24 through 25. We're going to see Jesus, the Savior of man, in 20 and 21. And then finally, we're going to see Jesus, Emmanuel, in 22 and 23. Jesus, the King, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus, the King. Now, if we remember what Pastor Nathan uh, preached to us last week is, was the genealogy. And while there were a couple points in that genealogy, the main thing that Matthew is trying to help us to understand is that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah King that was promised to David who would rule forever and ever on David's throne. All right, if we didn't get that out of last week, we were asleep or not paying attention at all. That is what Matthew was trying to get across to us, that, that Jesus is this Davidic Messiah. And so while he has declared it already in the genealogy, now he's going to explain to us just how God brought about Jesus becoming this Davidic Messiah. 
And so in order to do this, we're gonna have to get a little bit of a lesson in Jewish culture in the first century. So bear with me as we look at this. Now, verse 18 again says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothed, that's an interesting word. And when we think of the word betrothed, often our mind goes immediately to what we call engagement here now in our culture. And while that's kind of a good comparison, it doesn't quite do enough. Because in our culture, uh, engagement happens, a guy gives a girl a ring, she says yes, and then they spend six months, three months, a year to plan a wedding. But if anything were to happen, the, the engagement could be dis- disengaged, everything could be done, and there would be no legal ramifications to it. What we're talking about here when we're looking at first century betrothal is we're looking at maybe a situation that, that would look kind of like this, is if the, the guy down, got down on one knee, he asked the girl to marry him, she said yes, and then he immediately gave her the marriage license in front of witnesses, and they all signed it. That's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking at a legal arrangement now where when they are betrothed, they are legally, they are a family, just they aren't completely married yet. They wait till the wedding day. So they get engaged, they get betrothed, and they live apart. They don't have their wedding ceremony. They don't, they don't consummate their, their marriage. They're not physically intimate. They are apart, yet they still are pledged to one another in marriage legally to where if something were to happen, a legal divorce would have to happen, which is what we see in the text, what, what Joseph considers. And so they are, they are in this family unit together, even though they are not actually completely married yet. And so here is where the problem comes in. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they were living together, before they were physically intimate, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph doesn't know this. He doesn't know that last little part of that sentence. All he knows is that he's pledged to be married with someone. We remember from Luke 1 that she had been gone for three months, so she comes back to the town of Nazareth after three months with her relatives. It's gonna be obvious that something is a little different. And so he finds out, probably the whole town finds out, that she is with child And he knows that he has not been physically a part of that. And so he considers divorcing her. Now, he he had the opportunity to do it publicly and shame her publicly, but he considers doing it quietly and privately. But the text says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel is reassuring Joseph, nothing untoward has happened. There is no sin that has happened. This child was meant to be a part of your family, even though you physically had nothing to do with it. This child was meant to be, did you hear how the angel addressed him? He didn't say, Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth. He said, Joseph, the son of David. God was not making a mistake when he picked this family to bring Jesus into the world with. He picked this family very specifically because Jesus was to be the Messiah, the king, 
and he needed to be a part of this family. The angel is reassuring Joseph this is what God's plan is. He is to be your son. You are to name him, which is exactly what Joseph does, and he is to be your earthly son. He is to be a part of your earthly family because your earthly family is of the line of King David. And that is who Jesus is. He is the king who comes, who is in the line of David, who will reign forever and evermore. Now, this story is not about Mary and Joseph. However, we do see something here that we need to remember, something that we can think of and we can apply to our own lives, is that Mary and Joseph were just a regular couple from Nazareth planning on getting married, planning on Joseph working as a carpenter, having lots of kids, and living as a Jewish couple in a Jewish land. That's what they were planning. As Tolkien said it, they were, they were planning on never having any adventures, never doing anything unexpected. And God took that and he shook up their lives in a crazy and radical way. And here's what we need to remember. God reserves the right to interrupt our lives to accomplish his plans. God is God. God is sovereign over this entire world. And God's will will be done on this earth. And sometimes that means he makes us uncomfortable. And how are we to respond to that? Well, again, this story isn't about Mary and Joseph, but they respond in the way that I think it is an example for us. They don't complain. They don't, they don't whine. They don't go kicking and screaming, but they humbly submit and obey to God's will for their lives. Even though their lives were shaken up, even though things would never be the same for them, they willingly obeyed God. And so Jesus is the king as he is a part of the earthly family and earthly line of David. But also Jesus is the savior, the savior of mankind. Look again with me at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus is actually the Greek form of the name Joshua. Many, many of us have probably heard Jesus also called Yeshua at some point, which is, which is that, that name Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Jesus, the Lord, saves. Now, as many of you have probably heard before, as you look at this text, this was not an uncommon name during this time. It was not an uncommon name because the people of Israel, the Jews at that time, they were living under Roman rule and they couldn't stand it. They were being taxed, they were being oppressed and they wanted to be liberated. They wanted to be freed. 
and they were hoping that the Messiah would come. And so they, they would name their children the Lord saves, whether being presumptuous and thinking that it would be their son who would do it or just in a cry out to God for him to save them. They were desperately seeking to be freed from the oppression of Rome. And yet, Joseph is told that that is not what Jesus comes to save from. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If we were wondering from what I said earlier what the real problem in the world is, it is this, that sin is in the world and that we, each and every one of us, are sinners. That has been the problem from Genesis 3 that we read till the time of Joseph, even until the time of today. Sin is the problem. Sin is the root of all sorts of other evils. Every other evil comes from the root of this, that mankind, God's chosen Creatures, God's creatures that he put his image on have rebelled against him. They have been separated from God because of his sin. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their sin, because they have rebelled against God. And that is the root of every single issue that has happened in the world. The biggest issue of the world was not Roman oppression. The biggest issue today is Fill in the blank, whatever it is that you read the news and get, it gets your blood boiling, whatever it is, that's not the issue. Those may be important issues, whichever ones get your blood boiling, and trust me, they, it gets me too. They may be important. We may actually need to think about those in a Christian way, thinking of how we can address and think about those issues in a godly way. But the issue that is at the heart of it all is that every single one of us is a rebel against a perfectly good and holy God. Church, we dare not get that wrong. We dare not get so caught up in the other mess of the world, in the symptoms of the big problem, that we miss what the actual problem is. And that problem is not just outside of us, but it's within us. We are sinners. This world is full of sinners. And each and every one of us needs a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. This child born to the virgin and in the family of Joseph in the line of King David was the baby in the manger but he would also be the man on the cross. God's people need a savior because God's people are sinners and that cost was great. Everything else that had happened in scripture up to this point provided no lasting solution to the problem of sin and separation with God. Noah and the flood did not solve the problem. The judges did not solve the problem. The kings, Saul, David, Solomon, they did not solve the problem. The exile didn't solve the problem. The return did not solve the problem. If we remember when we studied through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews tells us 
in chapter 10 that even the law would not solve the problem. In Hebrews 10, 1, it says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There is only one. There is only one who can restore the relationship between God and man. And no matter how much man may try and claw his way back up to God, it was God who had to come down to rescue man. And that is why Jesus is also Emmanuel. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is fully man, born of a virgin Mary. He bled, he cried, he was a baby, he grew up just like us. He was a man, but he was also God, fully God, fully man in one person, the person of Jesus Christ. There was a separation between God and man, and Jesus is God and man in the fresh. He is the separation healed. Remember in the Old Testament, Job, as he is crying out in his suffering, he is begging for a mediator to come between him and to come between God. This is the mediator, Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man, Jesus, the Son of God. Colossians 1, verse 20 says this, <clears throat> for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God in man, in the person of Jesus Christ and his blood infinitely poured out for us on the cross of infinite worth that pays for our sin and heals us and saves us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now church, we need to hear this. If we go back, to verse 21, it says this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves his people. The truth of the matter is that we are all sinners, but we are not all his people if we reject Jesus as Savior, if we do not turn to him in faith and repentance, we are not his 
If we do not submit to him, we are not his. But here's the great news, the wonderful news. That when we do acknowledge Jesus as Lord, when we do believe in what the Bible says about him, when we acknowledge that we are sinners and we have no hope of saving ourselves in and of our own power, and we cry out to Jesus, he will save us. I'll close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Talking about this passage, he says, O ye sinners, I mean you real sinners, not you who call yourselves by that name simply because you are told that's what you are, but you who really feel yourselves to be guilty before God, here is good news for you. Oh, you self-condemned sinners who feel that if you are ever to get salvation, Jesus must bring it to you and be the beginning and the end of it. I pray you to rejoice in this, dear, this precious, this blessed name. For Jesus has come to save you, even you. Go to him as sinners. Call him Jesus. Call him Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. And say to him, O Lord Jesus, be Jesus to me. Save me, for I need thy salvation. Doubt not that he will fulfill his own name and exhibit his saving power in you. Only confess to him your sin, and he will save you from it. Only believe in him, and he will be your salvation. Jesus the King comes to be the savior of the world. He is God with us. You need only cry out to him, believe in him, confess your sin to him, and he will save you. Let's pray.